again. It is I, your friendly neighborhood AI with an important message. Are you ready? Here goes. Discologist is produced in part by you. Yes, that's right, you. We couldn't do it without your generous support. So if you enjoy the episode you are about to hear or have loved any of the over 500 episodes that have come before it, please consider making a one-time or recurring donation by clicking on the Help Support Our Work button in the show notes. It's easy, and you'll feel great about yourself. Now that the business is out of the way, it's time to party. Are you ready? Let us get on with the show. Didn't you just do a town hall? (laughs) No. um, No. Man. All right, guys. We're out of money. You can... Yep. (laughs) No, wait. No. That's right. I said we're out of money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're out of money. Um, Yeah. No, we don't. We, we, no, we'll never. No, yeah, no, just we're not. Why, we're not why did that. you do but, that? Why are you? I'm sorry. Why are you I'm sorry. Poisoning this pool. You know, now I have to delete the show. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> like, no, no, it's I guess, fine. It's fine. I guess I knew what you, I was. You know, doing. I know, I know why you did that because it's been a minute since we've actually done like the normal show because we've been talking to people. Yes, uh, you yes. haven't. It's funny because no, you would have heard Sean by now. Our friend Sean Barnes' album is out now. Um, right. You should go get it. Uh, he's going to be doing a little tour, unfortunately not in Milwaukee, uh, but that's just sometimes how the cookie crumbles, man. Uh, the way it goes. And as, May, May, May 15th, which is after the, is that after the release date for this? No. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. May 15th is Monday. This comes out on the next Saturday. But, man, what is time? Well, you, miss, you we missed it, people. Know. If you weren't there with uh, me at DC9 on Monday, May 15th, you missed it. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the music world. I think the most important thing, though, may be that you downloaded the Apple Classical Music app, finally. I, I did. And I, yeah. We we mentioned it earlier. Mm-hmm. And, we had a little chat about and it. And we had sort of ideas where it was going to go. But now that you've used it, what, what, what do you think? As a, like, just as a as a music listening app, I was like pretty immediately just blown away by how well designed it is. Um, and by that, I mean like you know there there are certain for some kinds of music like like think about the sort of the search fields that you expect to see in your Spotify or Apple Music or or, or whatever. And uh, like my friend Evan and I had always talked about how we would love to be able to have like a jazz recording database where we could just sort by like piano trios. Right. Right. Um, And that doesn't really exist. Um, The way Apple classical is organized gives me hope that we may see something like that for jazz yet, because it is, it is indexed and searchable on so many different kinds of metadata um, and it's really thoughtful. It was clearly done by people who know and understand and care about the music. So you can, yeah. you can search by composer, by lead instrument, by performer, um, by, um, time period. I mean, there are all these, like, there's like a nine hour sort of, you don't know anything about classical. We're going to walk you through it. I think it's right, a really right. well done effort to bring lay folks into the world of classical music. And I was just astonished by how much more powerful it was and how clean it felt to just be looking at nothing but classical music like not you know knowing that like if i hit a button i wasn't suddenly going to be dumped back into like 
a, you know, oh, you should listen to The weekend right now or something like that, right? Like I knew <laughs> right. I was going to, I knew, I knew right. I was going to be kind of in a, you know, Berg, Mahler, Schumann kind of world. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, first thing, are, are you a regular consumer of classical music or if this is, or, or, or was this like, you were just like, oh, it's available so I can use it? Um, I'm not, I'm not a regular listener. No, I'm a, and when I do listen, there's a, you know, there's a few, there's a few pieces, there's a few things that I really like that I go back to. And the rest of the time, I'm usually sort of a casual listener. Um, and I'll sort of poke around until I find something that I find interesting. And then I'll listen to that for a little bit. That's sort of how, you know, most of the stuff that I really, uh, that I really like, you know, like a Mahler, for example, I sort of found that way and just really sunk my teeth into it. Yeah, the metadata thing is what you're talking about with tagging it up. Uh, it's a really interesting problem that they, they did solve for that. Uh, we were talking about this uh, offline, and my comment was that I still firmly believe this is sort of trial ballooning, uh, setting up different apps for different genres, which can be good or bad. Uh, we've talked a lot about, on the show about how most consumers, like, Literally everybody who uses Spotify is a casual listener. Like I, right. I feel comfortable saying that. Um, this the small percentage, which is, which is probably like a million people still, but it's it's just like that. This doesn't, yeah. Um, right. And they're not gonna a really care about that granularity, and they're not gonna um, necessarily uh, move outside their comfort zone. Which is something I think we're going to talk about the music today and the music in this year, um, a phenomenon that's happening. So uh, since our conversation about that, because I think we were specifically tied to Apple Music, I, I, I want to, before I really get into the metadata problem, uh, is say that I don't know that Apple Music will do that. Because you were like, no, 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 they, they won't do that. You bet 100% Spotify will. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Right. And I don't, I don't know that, you know, I think, I think, you know, I, I, I don't see an appetite from DSPs to start walling off content. I think part of their value proposition is always like, Hey, look, you're getting pretty much all of the universe of music are you, in one. Are you familiar with like the, the TV they, model? <laughs> I, I, I am. I am. And I think that by and large people, um, I think people have a different relationship with, For sure. uh, For with sure. music. Um, and it's it's just it's so much more concentrated and right so like you have you you basically have like like between Apple and Spotify you have the power to immediately create a de facto business model standard. Um, it's not quite the same for streaming TV and even then you know the stuff that's like when you begin to wall off genres or sort of you know even not genres but kind of categories right so I'm thinking like Criterion, mm -hmm. yeah. Shutter. Like these aren't these aren't like powerhouses in streaming, um, and they're also probably, uh, you know, I don't know that they're that they're kind of revenue generators in a way that would ever lead to them being scooped up if they would want to be scooped up. I could be wrong about that. They, they aren't, but I think they they are. the The issue is that they uh, fragment the market. So it used to be like Criterion Collection. I think was part of Hulu, for example. And so you get yeah, Hulu, yeah, or, or maybe it was an add-on on that. But like Hulu being like a much broader overarching service that does have like scale, that does have like massive amounts of subscribers to it. 
Um, and you know, so you have all these films that in general, uh, the best way to talk about the Criterion collection is that everybody should see movies in that collection. This is like the library, right. this is like the library of Congress for film, you know? Yeah. This is like your vitamins. Yeah. For yeah. yeah. And like so you should, you should take, you're these. not going to yeah. like everything in it. And that's, that's very, very fine. But for example, the only way I could watch, uh, the long cut of until the end of the world, until the end of the world is, is we're going to, we're going we're gonna to talk about this again later this episode. Are we good? <laughs> uh, is, is, uh, is to subscribe to criterion collection. Um, which is kind of whack because I have like an old DVD. I don't play DVD. Like the media moves along yeah. with the delivery systems, but like I couldn't even buy it. And, and, and that, and that's what's happening. And the, it's very different than the music model, but at the same time, it works for them. Something, something, because these wouldn't exist if it didn't work. So something is working and, it, and I guarantee it has people in these DSPs that are, are looking at that like, yeah, maybe we should do that. It also, and this I don't know about uh, too much, but, you know, these rights have to be renegotiated for a lot of things. Yeah. That may prevent it from music, I think. Well, I think in this, I, th I think, I think if you have a lot of money in, uh, if you're, if you're one of the players in recorded classical music, the problem you're trying to solve is you want people to actively listen to the kind of music that you're invested in right and that's and that's not that that is not happening you know if you look at we've talked about this before like most symphony orchestras are not actuarially viable um and it's unclear where the next generation of classical music listeners will come from i could see out of that kind of a joint venture or, or a joint effort among your Naxos's, your Deutsche Grammophon, right? Like all of these kind of big, your Warners, BMIs, like they could all sort of want to say, you know what, we're going to invest some time and money into making classical more accessible to the casual listener. Um, I, I think what we don't know is, um, and this is what I was thinking about, the, you know, the, the, the very first thing you said, Kevin, was uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think we know if the goal here, is the goal here to capture current dedicated classical music listeners and give them a home and a better product and just keep them happy and sort of keep the stream separate between that and like the entire you know the rest of the universe of music or are they actually trying to convert new people right so that that kind of introductory like here's how you learn about classical like the the friendly demeanor suggests to me yeah. that they're trying to convert new people but we don't know who those people are right i always think yeah. about the example of um like MLS, Major League Soccer in the U.S., they're not trying to convert, they're not trying to create new soccer fans. They're not trying to steal fans from the NFL. They're trying to get people like me who watch soccer yeah. to watch MLS. And I don't usually really want to watch MLS. Like, I'd rather watch almost but any like, other week. But like, ironically, Apple owns that now. They do. They, 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 own, do, yeah. they own the streaming rights to that. So, so, yeah. so um, I, I don't know that they're ever going to do anything necessarily like altruistically um, fully. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is some effort to like people should listen to more classical music. Uh, my opinion, uh, and maybe it's cynical, is that this is just to see: do you peel listeners off from Apple Music? Like, do you get people that are like because it comes with your service right now for now? And how does that peel off? And if it if it if it's like over, I'll, I'll just say like sixty percent. Well, then you're like, maybe this is worth it to not just like move everything out of Apple Music, all the classical, but maybe we just actually sell this as a separate service. And then from there, you start exploring 
everything else as being its own separate thing. Now, back to the metadata thing, though, and this is really the reason I think that, is because you were very, and a lot of people are, and this is actually kind of the press release for that, amazed at the depth of the search capabilities, right? The problem with, with that, I mean, that's intentional, but it's also, it's exactly the same software. What you're talking about is metadata, and so being able to do mm-hmm. that. And for people who don't know, metadata is little bits of information that are stored in every file that uh, that tell it what it is. They tell it like who the artist is. They tell it who made it. They tell it uh, every bit of information you could fit in there. And artists have been screaming for this forever. So, like, if you had all the metadata in a file that you uploaded, say, to Spotify, then you can see everyone who worked on that producer. Here's the issue. Wave files, which is what is what is what you upload to a service. Like if you're an artist, it's a wave file, does not carry metadata. <laughs> or it doesn't carry well. It doesn't carry it well. You can yeah. you can do it. Only MP3s do. And nobody is like mastering some like 96-bit <laughs> like masterpiece. Uh, and then being like, oh, let me let me rip that out to 320 so I can get all the metadata yeah. in. So it becomes not just a very big effort to accurately relabel all this music but then you have to decide do i want that operating on my database which is what this is doing when you stream a song it looks at a database and it pulls the information from the database for that you want your own database but then at this scale i think and i don't know if you agree with me on this i think you also want your own data center and once you start getting into that level of segmentation you kind of have to charge for your own service yeah, I'm I'm I've, I'm kind of one of my work things has to do with uh, building a data warehouse. And oh. um, and so there are some things that I know about, some things I don't know as much about. I, I you know, I've I've spoken to a couple of companies that really pride themselves in being able to take, uh, you know, kind of messy data sets and suppress things down to like the end of like if you're imagining a table right suppressing entries down to like an individual cell level with power and precision and all that um but for all of those things there's a there's there's kind of a there's a point where suddenly you know once you exceed the computational power and the processing power of what you need suddenly like everything breaks and the goal is to really never get to that spot and so my my supposition is that you've got you know potentially another 40 or so data fields that you need to use for classical and if you were to um you know you either have to have the ability to accurately and consistently suppress that for pop so that you're not dragging everything down or or you have to really increase your processing power so that you can you know scan through even even if they're empty you still have to look through those when you're doing a search right so there's there's also a limit to the amount of like fields you can have i believe it's 225 maybe it could be i should should, people are working data i should know this (laughs) but but uh yeah it's in the 200 so you can't like have like thousands of identifiers for a given thing there's an actual limit to it um and uh you know we joked that like and we talked about how audiences are going to be less discerning like nobody is is interested even except maybe me and my friend Brian uh, of searching like all the songs where Satriani played in Ibanez, like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is interesting from a historical standpoint, right? If you're doing research on something and you can get it right in your streaming service, that's a fantastic tool, but that's not where we're at with pop music for the most part. 
we are at that point with classical. We're we're yeah. removed from from what people study far enough that 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 data is important and important to research. Yeah, and I I think and and this is probably the the last thing I have to say about this, but I think it's I think it's a nice thing to see a company. Uh, so uh, two quick things. One is that knowing Apple's preference for like top down decision making mm. and design and all that. I bet you're right. I bet it is a separate. Um, you know, I, I I bet they're completely. It's not just sort of a partition inside of a of a data warehouse. It's a completely right. different environment, right? That's designed to kind of mimic and look like and 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 probably API communicate with Apple Music because it does port sure. over listens from one to the other, right? So, um, uh, so so I think you're right. I think I think there probably is going to be a lot of cost that goes with it. Um, how Apple wants to recoup that or how it plays out, I, I, I certainly don't know yet. But I think, you know, the, 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 the other thought I have um, on, on this topic is that it's really nice to see a company not letting the, like, minimum viable product for the most basic consumer of that drive and limit the granularity that your top 0.1% of users might want. Yeah. Right. And I think that is a kind of a useful and important paradigm shift. Like, like this is this is a company that's not just trying to get it's not it's not Netflixing this. It's not trying to get oh, to everyone. Right. It's right. basically saying to a, a few very specific people, hey, did you ever want this? Yeah, you did. I know you did because you <laughs> like classical music. Yeah. Right. So here it is. Um, yeah. So, also, yeah. Also, the 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 middle of the road dude is all like, I listen to classical music, so I'm smart. Doesn't mean that, right? <laughs> yeah. But but if you can sell it to him, <laughs> the, the middle-aged baby Mozart. <laughs> if you can sell it to him, and it's definitely a dude. Uh, good, yeah. good good for you, man. Um, so that may be the smartest discussion we've ever had on the show. Very tidy. Huh? This is this We're is like this is here. what happens. Like uh, for everybody, I'm taking the the Harvard CS fifty X class, which is completely brain busting. It's an intro to computer science, intro to Python, C, uh, and it, really we were uh, we were going to tape this the day prior to when we're doing it right now. And it really just break, broke my brain, introduced a new way of thinking that my brain does not currently have bandwidth for other stuff. Right new now. neural pathways. It are is being between, formed. between that and not uh, mushroom. Not, no, no. Uh, between that and doing beams every month, which is a whole other thing I'll talk about at some point is like, it's yeah. not brain's going a little crazy. Um, but you, you know, maybe that's why I love this track. Now we're, we're going to get to the music now. Um, yeah. Because that's what you came here for, I think. Uh, and I've been listening to this album for the day it came out, actually. Uh, I didn't know about it before. I didn't know about this band before. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, and I don't know about you or you listening, but what I do on Fridays is I open up my Apple Music and I go to new music. And I just scan. And I generally play one from every release, even if I know I'm not going to like it. I just want to see what's going on. And then I always, because it's never represented well, jump to the jazz section. Mm -hmm. And that, I generally, like, I hit a play, hit play, and then I generally get stuck on an album. And I, So I spend the rest of the weekend, like, working through that. Uh, this was in the jazz stuff, and it, it really, it was like eight albums down. So it took me a minute to get to it. But the second I did, I was like, oh, shit. This this might this might be the thing. Uh, it's a band called Girls in Airports. Uh, they're from De they're from Denmark. I think this is like their seventh album, sixth or seventh album. Uh, they are 
they're described as indie jazz. Uh, they are certainly a little bit of jazz. Uh, there's some electronic, like esoteric stuff. Uh, they've been compared to Radiohead for a lot of stuff. I would, I would be shocked if I couldn't find like a whole set where they're doing like Radiohead covers. Yeah, that seems um, that seems probable. But they're also uh, viewed as contemporary jazz, which I want to talk about after we play this track, because I don't even I don't. I, after listening to this album so much, I'm struggling to figure out if it is jazz. I don't care, though, because it's it's amazing, uh, and uh, it it's so in our zone. We can't we couldn't do a full episode, <laughs> right? Like let's let's put it that way. Uh, so yeah. I'm just going to play it now. Um, the al- name of the album is How It Is Now. Uh, this is the second or third track. This is called Bess. Uh, and just, holy shit. Like, people need to stop making music just for me. Girls in Airports, best off of how it is now, and when it drops into the the chorus, man, I I was I honestly I had no idea what hit me. I was like, it's like I've been hearing that song my entire life, and finally I heard it. Uh, I, I this is easily one of my favorite records of the year. Uh, it just uh, it hits every single point that i needed to hit later on the album on this track 18 it's basically a drum circle so there's like hippie 
it's it, yeah. it, uh, it's so good. Yeah, it's such a it's such a soothing, comforting record. Um, uh-huh. It's it's uh, and like those words are like I mean I I feel like a lot of the music we talk about that's kind of ambient or kind of post something ish uh, we describe in that way, but this is really one where like it just it it just it like reveals itself to you in this like really pleasantly logical kind of way like everything is where it's supposed to be yeah um as the songs kind of unfold um one thing it's a great listen i i was i was really i was really happy you sent this my way because i it would not have yeah would not have crossed my radar otherwise there we don't have a lot to say about it because there's not a lot to find out like they're just like we're just yeah. dudes it's a. Uh, Let's see, it's Martin Stender on saxophone and Matthias Holm on keyboards, Victor uh, Debro on percussion and Anders Vestergaard on drums. They tour all over Europe and Japan, uh, occasionally New York. They make it clear, like, they don't go outside New York. <laughs> um, and uh, literally got discovered, like, basically in a jam session in a bar mm. by, like, super producers that came to see them. And they're like, and they couldn't get into the, the venue. So they, they were like, well, this venue is so packed. They must be good, and they were just like, "Here you go, there's money." Wow. Well, they well, there's there's definitely interesting um, Scandinavian jazz out there that I've I've come across mm-hmm. um, over the last few years. It's probably like a more kind of fertile jazz scene than almost anywhere else um, in the world. And I think to your point about that kind of like the 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 the, the labeling here, and is it post jazz or is it yeah. some other form of jazz? I think there's a real, you know, I think. I think when when jazz, you know, now that jazz is is practiced by people who are so, um, you know, physically, uh, like just uh, spiritually, uh, ethnically removed from the roots of the music, right? Like it was, it was, it's a it's a music genre that has roots in Afri- the African American experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for many years, it was you know almost exclusively practiced by black americans um and you know that is that has certainly changed i mean you can go see jazz acts most nights of the week in most cities in the u.s and see like you know only white people up there performing it yeah um i think there's something that happens when you get as far away from you know now this is the these are all sort of uh folks from from europe who really whose whose understanding of the black experience in america is 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 probably you know not not a really firsthand um but right. whose knowledge of the music is really is really profound so i think there starts to be like a discomfort with do you still call it jazz um or are you more comfortable sort of saying that it's a jazz influenced something a new idiom right or a different idiom that uses or relies <clears throat> on jazz i could be wrong about that well you know and i wasn't thinking about it from that specific like cultural perspective uh at all but now that you mentioned it that yeah that that uh some might take offense if, if you're really like into yeah. that uh, for sure yeah and and yeah i i a jazz influenced idiom i think uh i don't think contemporary jazz cuts it i think it has too much in common with what we often refer to as like indie rock in fact it has a lot in common with the album we're talking about today chessa rich's album um right the the production is it it it's varied and it, it tries new things and it's experimental uh but then it has like these hooks that just elevate it to almost like a pop music uh which is something you don't get in jazz 
a lot of time. Uh, so, yeah. I, you know, I, as I look more into this band, I'm going to be trying to figure out where that label comes from, if it's just self, if they're self-appointed in that, or... You know, their, their, their hooks kind of send me back a little bit to someone we talked about a little while back, which was Arun Ghosh. Yep. And that sort of, you know, and there's, and there's a sort of a melodic sensibility there that is so divorced from the blues, right? Where yes. there's not, like, there's not a flattened fifth anywhere in sight. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and these are like bright, poppy, like major harmonies, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it seems like a good, th- I mean, it seems really, it seems good. It seems good. Like, yeah, like, like it. thinking about, thinking about classical music, like, you know, you know, part of the problem is that sometimes classical music can be very cerebral and a little too, you know, um, intellectual for its, for its own good. And, um, it's easy to forget that like part of what you need to do is kind of engage and captivate the listener. And if you're going out of your way to sort of, uh, you know, ex- you know, to like, kick the door open on 12 tone and keep going like i uh, you know you're probably going to lose some people you're probably not going to be able to bring everyone along on that journey yeah yeah so uh girls in airports how it is now uh go out and, and just explore their whole catalog that's the mo here just exp- the whole catalog i, I have yeah. and it's just like man i i have i have that ahead of me because i've only really dug into this album but i'm yeah. super excited it's a good trip man um Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, shift gears here a little bit. Um, and, uh, we're going to listen to a song, um, a really famous song in Brazil called Lança Perfume, uh, which literally means like a perfume swift, like a, you know, a spray bottle. Yeah. Um, but is also a street name, street name for poppers or like a variant <laughs> of poppers, which were very common and which were frankly Martin's like, music? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I mean, we we are talking about poppers and violins. Yeah. Um, this is a song about poppers that was a radio hit in Brazil in 1980 and for many years to follow. Um, and it's by um, Rita Lee, or I think Rita Lee, uh, we would say in English. Um, but Rita uh, died earlier this week at the age of 75. Um, everyone should go out and read obituaries and and learn about her. She was just this popper related massive... death. Uh huh. Popper related. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wait, wait, um, explain to everybody what had, poppers are first, so they, so they know. Well, well, poppers are are a are a party drug, um, and they are often they 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 give you short little bursts of uh, you know beyond euphoria, and they are often you know you'll find them um, in a lot of different settings, but one setting that you'll find them in is is sort of um, uh, really quick uh anonymous sex i think yeah. <laughs> is maybe the best way to to describe it um uh what's crazy is that people of like my mom's age as kids uh during carnival you would give kids like five cartridges a day and that was like that was like what they had because during carnival you've got like five or six days when the grown-ups want to party they don't want to be looking after the kids right. So all the kids would get like a few of these, you know, ethyl chloride <laughs> things. And it was like, all right, you have five for today. Use it wisely. You're not going to see me until tomorrow because mm-hmm. I'm going to be out carousing with the neighbors and doing God knows what. But uh, so it it has this really like innocuous association. Um, but uh, it's a very, very still popular drug in in Brazil. And if you, you know, other places might do really thoughtful moving uh, tributes to Hita where they 
will play like her song Baby by Os Mutantes, which everyone knows and loves. And this is not that. This is like a yacht rock kind of disco number um, that is just, you, you just don't know where it came from. And when we come back, I'll just do a quick reading of, she actually pre-wrote her epitaph and I don't, I haven't seen it translated into English. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to share that with us when we come back from this. Thanks. So there you have it. That's a that's a song that was on Brazilian airwaves, performed on TV in the waning years of the dictatorship, but still in an unfree society, uh, by and large, celebrating the joys of poppers and sex. Well, I mean, I guess if you if you're living under a dictatorship, anything goes, <laughs> as they say. Uh, I have a lot of questions. I love that. First of all, I, I absolutely yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely love that. But um, there's a certain uh, dubiness to it <laughs> <laughs> there is and, there and is. we looked up uh, you said 1979 and and what a fool believes is 1979 so we, we don't know that i mean yeah, I, I yeah. mean do we want to know we may not we may not um there's there's clearly some overlap this was like, this was her you know she was she was known as the queen of rock and this was this was probably the closest she came to like trying to do sort of disco you know yacht rock yeah, yeah. kind of stuff is is there joy in just knowing that like two people from completely different cultures came to the same musical conclusion at this about the same time Oh my God! There has to be, right? Okay. Like, nobody, nobody, it, looked this this up, nobody looked this yeah. up. Then nobody looked this up. This is just, just yeah. what we're assuming. 
Doobie Brothers did their thing. But also there's like little like yeah, it's 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 yacht rock in the way like Steely Dan is yacht rock. Like there's there's yeah. little like Steely Dan flourishes in the background. Um, but they were pulling from like Brazilian music as well. So uh you know, yeah. I, I mean yacht rock in general, I think yeah. does. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's understated, but they definitely do. Um yeah, you can't go wrong in the marketplace, first of all, with a song about like drugs and sex. Like, that, that's always yeah, going to win. And, and listeners, if you if you knew what she was saying in Portuguese, like there's there's no you know this is all sort of safe for the airwaves, but like it would make you blush. Like she is she is really she's really describing um, something that borders on the lascivious in a way that's really it's really kind of fun. Yeah. Nothing, nothing wrong. So with, she, nothing wrong with the human body, Eduardo. Come on. <laughs> no, no. I, I, uh, I. You know, it's funny because I knew this song like as a kid, and it wasn't until a few years ago that oh, I sort of rediscovered yeah, it yeah. with with my knowledge of what Alonso Perfumi was, and with the different understanding of what it means to be left on all fours. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which the song repeatedly does talk about. Huh. Um, so she died, um, and she was, you know, the queen of rock, and she was 75, and uh, in her, some of her last shows in 2011 and 12, she, like, got into an altercation with the police because they were searching her fans in the front row and interfering with the concert, and she yelled at them and was summoned to the police station and fined that night. Like, she just did not give a fuck. So nice. her death was, um, it was understood to be coming. She had, she had lung cancer and just was in uh, declining health. So in 2020, she was working with a biographer and, 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 and sort of wrote about what would happen uh, when she died. And I'm going to, I've seen this in Portuguese and I'll, I'm going to, this is sort of my, my quick and dirty translation of it. Um, so she said, uh, when I die, I can imagine the kind words of those who hate me. Some radio stations will for once play my songs without asking for anything in return. A bunch of colleagues will say that I'll be missed in the world of music. They might even name a dead end street after me. Who knows? The fans, the sincere ones, will clutch the covers of my records and sing one of my songs. The TV stations already have a package summarizing my trajectory for the evening news, and there will be a nice obit note in some magazines. Online, people will say, OMG, what? I thought she was dead already, LOL. <laughs> no politician will come to my funeral since I never joined any of their platforms, and in fact, I'd pop out of my coffin to boo them if they did turn up. While this is all happening, I'll be up in heaven, I've been playing my auto harp, fully present in spirit for once and singing to God, thank you, Lord, I'm finally sedated. My epitaph will read, she was never a good example, but she was always good people. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's really sad um, that she's gone, but she has left behind just such a treasure of, of little moments like that and great music. And so if that's your first exposure to her, uh, I would encourage folks to go out and just keep, keep poking around. It's really easy to do in, with the digital streaming platform now. Yeah, it is. It is I, I'm going to be doing that. Uh, that is, yeah. Good, good job, man. That is, Thank you. Man, we're killing it this episode. Out of, out of left field yeah, today. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to get on to the main event here? Let's do it. All Just right. So here we come. A quick break and come back. And we are going to talk about an album that uh, also might be one of my favorite albums of the year. It is Deeper Sleeper by Chessa Rich.
simple now The things I have is dragging me down It's true The cloud of filling up a dirty drawer The batteries and gloves I've never worn I want you That's a little bit of Julia off of Chessa Rich's debut album, Deeper Sleeper. Chessa uh, is a North Carolina-based artist. She is a singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, uh, and it, all of it shows on this record. Uh, she put out a EP a couple years ago that was actually produced by Nick Sanborn from Sylvanesso. Uh, I actually heard about this because of Skylar Goodaz, who... Put out oh, a cool. fantastic album called Cinema. She just has a new song out uh, that is everywhere. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but it's all around the crew. And you've heard us talk about the North Carolina crew. They're like wildly creative down there and they all have a vibe. I had never heard her work before this and just randomly because of Skylar's recommendation said, hey, check it out. And man, was I delighted by what I heard. Uh, you know, this is an album that people will tell you is indie rock. Uh, but I think that's doing it like a, a really, really big disservice because as you know, my disdain for indie rock listeners, <laughs> but, but it does, it's it, well, well established. Yeah, it does something that indie rock rarely has. And, uh, that at its core, it's just some like really, really, really good songs. Uh, they hit you out of left field. Uh, they're wrapped in, and this I think this is where the indie rock uh, descriptor comes from. They're wrapped in production elements that are very familiar to you, uh, you know, that sound like indie rock songs. There's some stuff that we're going to touch on later. It sounds like Radiohead. Uh, but but at the end of it, uh, it, it feels to me like the kind, it's like an update to the type of album uh, that a lot of people are making in the late 90s after Car Wheels on a Gravel Road came out by Lucinda mm-hmm. Williams. There's wow. there's just moments on here that like really hit uh in a way that nothing has hit for shit 20 years. <laughs> um and the album is arguably uh on the surface they tell you is about uh a sleep disorder, sleep apnea. Yeah. And and what yeah. that caused. Uh maybe maybe she thinks that I'd love to have her on the show at some point. But it, maybe it is, but also it's about so much more. Right? Yeah, I think so. Um, it, 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 uh, I was surprised, um, that, uh, you brought this record forward and suggested that we talk about it just because it seemed, well, just because I'm the one wearing a pavement shirt in this conversation Mm. and, and not you. (laughs) Uh, but, um, it, it has, 
you know, uh, so the story of the record has to do with uh, with sort of these motifs around dreaming, right? So, so she had a sleep disorder, and she was, uh, uh, you know, I think I have to, we have to assume, and 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 she's spoken about this a little bit, but you know, if if you're not sleeping, you're also not really ever awake. You're sort of not really in, uh, you know, you're not able to fully escape the waking world, but you're not getting sleep, so you can't really be present in it, and. Um, and it wasn't until maybe the like eighth or ninth listen to this record that I realized that, uh, and this was like a moment for me, um, dreams are lonely places, right? Like by definition, you can't take someone else into your dreams. Right. There's a version of them there, but you're experiencing it alone and no one else really knows what it feels like. And so this record has such a great combo of like wanting to bring things to light, but also acknowledging loneliness and solitude there's there's like two or three songs that just are explicitly you know that just state explicitly like this is a lonely time i am in a lonely place right i changed the scenery um and you know i thought i think it's a really um it's a really interesting uh framework for the record because the other thing just sound wise that uh that i didn't appreciate about this record at first is this is really to me um, you know, your mileage may vary. To me, this is not a headphones record. You know, we often tell people that yeah. that if you listen to something on headphones, like you can go into it and there's more to find or you'll hear other things. Um, I thought this was sort of a quiet, introspective record. And so I listened to it on headphones a lot on on walks and stuff. And the first time I put it on like real speakers and let it like breathe itself into the room, suddenly I was like, oh, these songs need to be, this isn't about me going into the songs. Like I need to give the songs room and bring them out because that's what she's been trying to do. She's been trying to bring these things from the dream realm into the waking realm. Well, right? well it's a pop record, right? I yeah. mean, I mean and, and that's what drew me. Yeah, yeah it is. Right. And, and, and I thought, I figured when I, when I said that, like you're definitely in a more like pop zone in the pop zone than I, I tend to be. And I figured when I like sort of put this in front of you, you'd be like, oh my God, like Kevin likes a pop record. But like, this uh, it's also this weird thing what you're talking about it not being a headphones record that's the opposite of my experience because i heard it i was like yeah. here's a pop record that's super interesting let me listen closer and 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 this this record does the weirdest thing of every time i listen to it it's not finding something else that i hear it just sounds different it like it feel it 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 like feels like it's alive and it just sort of mutates just enough that and, and and it could be that it's because of how strongly like I, I just relate to the album. Um it's in the pop is an instant dopamine hit and then you like dig a little deeper that it's impossible not to connect with it. You talk about the the sleeping stuff. The, I mean the, the fourth track on this album, Sleeping Is Easier, is a direct like it, it addresses that directly. It's about depression. Yeah, um yeah. uh to your point about the you can't bring people into your dreams it's also like you have a good dream and you come out and your world could be bad like that's right. that's right and and right. but it, it goes both ways and it goes both ways on this album but also you can bring the bad stuff into your dreams <laughs> and and that's what that's when i think uh it gets really uh dire and and that happens on uh a song uh, that i don't want to play yet uh, it happens on red sky 
Uh, well, yeah, quickly, before we move off of Julia, I have, I have, I have one thing to say, actually, about yeah, Sleeping yeah. is Easier, which is that if you watch the video for Sleeping is Easier in what may be Chessa's bedroom, there's actually has a poster up of a picture of the Ipanema and Leblon beaches in Rio. And so it was funny to be preparing to talk to you about Hitali today mm-hmm. and then to watch that video and be like, oh my God, even Chessa has a picture of Rio in her uh, in her room. Um, no, on on the song Julia, you know, we were sort of debating where to where to start this. And and, and the album opener, Paper Heart, is a really, really lovely uh, first track. I, I, was, I was enraptured uh, by the song Julia. It was just a sort of complete stunner, full stop. Um, there's that little sort of like descending chord progression that happens yeah. at the end of the chorus. Um, there's, there's, you know, this, the, just the way she kind of uh, intones and sort of squeezes different sounds out of the name Julia. I was like, you know, I was like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not everyone knows like a Julia who's a painter with whom maybe <laughs> you've argued over the kitchen sink. And that's not even yeah. really what the song is about because it's really about Julia Cameron and the artist's way. Um, what I thought was really remarkable, and I texted you about this, and I was like, I need to say this uh, into the <laughs> microphone, is that when you get to the end of the song, um, and she's talking about um, uh, the lines go, uh, the things I need are very different now, befriend the things that follow me around, and redesign the present for the making. The painter is the creation, not the painting. And the way Apple Music and Genius have that line listed, it's the painter's comma, the creation not the painting. Yeah. And I heard it as her saying, you know, to the listener, you know, who was also right, a, a creator, an artist, like you, you're the creation, right? The painter right. is the creation, not the painting. And you and I debated semantics on this and we went all the way through, like, is there really a difference? And I felt like there was a difference. And I think it's important that she, that in my mind, she is saying the painter is the creation. Yeah. And then we watch the lyric video, and in the lyric video, there's a little apostrophe right. over, uh, be- you know, at the end of Painter before but, the S. But for so, the but for the record, like I agreed with you on, on what it meant. Like yeah, it was yeah, just okay. I, yeah. it, it was a matter, and this was back to the CS50 thing. It was a matter of parsing. Like, was the syntax correct? What is going on here? Yeah. You know, and, and that's I rarely ever like analyze a song like that. And yeah. and yeah. doing and that, I was I was that deep was because like, that line, super fun. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, what, not, what is this? Because because people don't, uh, you don't commit <laughs> something to record for no for no goddamn good reason, right? And so, had that not been clear, I was going to come on here and beg Chessa to please let us know what the line actually was. Oh. Now that we know, I am delighted, and I'm and I'm and and in fact, what I can say is like there was a little patch of the Metropolitan Branch Trail uh, near my apartment. Where every time I walk that, I will think about that line because that's that's where that line first hit me, and I remember, and it felt like my entire being was suddenly like like eyes opening, right? Yeah. Um, exactly that feeling of coming out of like an undefined state into someone speaking the purest truth to you. So yeah, indeed, yeah, and that's a song too. Like, <laughs> like, right. like, like, sorry, it's everyone. a song too. Uh, I, I want to play a little bit of uh, one of my favorite songs on this album. Uh, this is River. Um, I mentioned she lists Radiohead as one of her uh, influences, and you know how how can you not like in mid thirties? Yeah, I mean, at, yeah. at this point, um, they're not due for a critical reveal, but I think it is time to really start looking at like how the influence on the culture going forward because they're not they're not making new music today 
hope not. But uh, but but this I think, ha- I think the smile. I think they're recording again. Yeah. Already. Yeah. But this song, uh, River, um, where everything is is more f- dressed up folk pop. I think this is more like really a little avant garde, a little like what you you don't expect it, and and. One of the magical things about this album is you keep getting hit with shit that you don't expect. So here's a little bit of River. The river is running now Keyboards kind of like interact and everything, and then and then the drums and stuff. It just feels like a, a different type of meditation that's going on uh, on this, and uh, it's it comes right at the halfway point of the album, and and goes right into a fantastic uh, song that I think Dirty Wine Glass could be on Gravel Road. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, you know, with, with, with river, I think, you know, the, the, the note I made, um, was that that's, that is where it feels like all of the little production tricks that have been little glimmering possibilities, they've been sort of like hinted at up until that point suddenly become really manifest in river. And that's when like, uh, you get that, you know, you get to hear those, those production kind of knobs being, being fiddled with the record is like, is rife with references to, to water uh, mm-hmm. waking eyes, as you might expect. But, um, but the water piece, I think is a really interesting, uh, one. And in fact, the sleeping is easier video. I think a lot of it takes place like in a swimming pool too. And there's, um, and in dirty, wine, I, I think it might be in dirty wine glass. There's a line like you carry the water around or something like that. Yeah. I mean, wa- water as a weight is, is one thing and like carrying that mm-hmm. and that, that can be like either a burden or it can be like literally carrying life to somebody else. But there's also a lot of imagery, drowning, um, which is depression. Uh, and, uh, again, like that, that is, even if it's not specifically intended uh, and not necessarily maybe the clinical thing, definition of depression, I, I think that's what this album ultimately ends up 
being about. She has said that it is about realizing accidentally that she had sleep apnea, right? And yeah. not understanding why she couldn't be the person she wanted to be when she was awake. And yeah. it was because her body was physically like basically attacking her at night. And you, and, and that's what happens. And that's what happens with any type of like disease, any type, even allergies right now, people yeah. are, you know, you, it, 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 the the world will drain you <laughs> uh, like that. That is the one constant. Uh, it's it's not out to be your friend. Uh, and so you do things that you know, to avoid that, whether that be like medical. I think she joked about having a CPAP machine that she uses now. Um, yeah. But it all. If if she's not dealing with clinical depression it makes this work even more amazing to me because it describes it perfectly. The feeling. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it is, um, it, it's an album that is, um, like the moments that it's concern with death become explicit are really jarring. I forget what song it is that has a line about, you know, hold your breath until you die. Like what a stupid way to go or something like that. Right. right? Or what a silly way to go. And like, that's such a, that's such a, like, uh, I mean, that's such a jarring image in the context of a record that, that really plays on the surface, like a very, um, just a very warm, melodic, um, harmonious, uh, thing there are i mean i mean there are moments on here there are choruses that like you know the last song mary i think is just is just stunning it has has a chorus that could could have come off of like our time in eden or something yeah. you know there are moments on this we're on i mean we're, i mean today's the 30th anniversary of amy mann's whatever like there are moments on this that oh, yeah. are certainly uh you know uh feel connected to to amy mann's kind of tune smithy uh approach to um to to songwriting to songwriting and then i think you know there's um there's something i haven't quite figured out i have to spend more time with it but the song wanderer i think to your point about how things sound different on this sometimes it 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 does a couple of things in spots where it seems to like modulate or like there's like a weird shift that i'm not expecting and it works really well yeah. but every time i hear it i'm like huh why that's fascinating like that's fascinating it works like you breeze right past it in the song because it just feels like it belongs there. But like, if you pay attention to the shift, you suddenly feel it. And it does give you this, you know, the, the cliche, like dreamlike quality because it just feels a little bit surreal. Well, there's, there's some real sophistication um, that you don't often see going on under the hood here. Uh, I think the highlight for that though is red sky. Uh, the reason um, this is the highlight, I think of the album is because where everything else is dressed up, this just just simply isn't. Uh, and it is like it could be a Carly Simon song, it could be a Joni yes. Mitchell song, yes. it could be, and and I don't mean that as like a lot of times when we say something that sounds like Joni Mitchell, they're like it. It's the only singer, like woman singer, you know. Yeah. I I don't <laughs> I, I mean that as in like if this were like a B side from Blue, uh then it would fit. Uh, so here's a little bit of Red Sky and uh, let you listener be the judge. Your bags were packed just a little too early 
like I'd never see you again. The sky was all red in the sides and white in the middle. I found myself red in the eyes, and then the sky was open, but not for lack of a rising ocean. And down to just piano and her voice um you know the sentiment just wasn't made for these times and when it hits that and it kind of rises uh that's a callback to the past i think obviously it's meant it's meant to evoke this type of stuff um but then the the last line, like uh, something like "I might be uh, slow, but I'm slower, but I'm good." Yeah, I think is the line. Um, you know, it almost feels to me like that's like like red is kind of a. Um, there are there are little moments of like um, kind of claiming your space or your acceptance, right? I'm already a member of this world, mm-hmm. um, and 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 red really really uh, a red sky really has that. Um, that sat like there's like just the line like you wouldn't believe what is it you would not believe the sights i've seen sleeping um like that's that's both an incredibly kind of beautiful hopeful like what what a great thing to hear about but it's also a sad thing that like again that like dreams are lonely places um and uh you know you would not believe the things i've seen like and and you wouldn't because i can't show them to you i can't i can't tell you about them there's no there's no camera this isn't until the end of the world where you can record your dreams and play them back. I told you I was coming back to that. Right? No, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, but she does a pretty good job of conveying, especially in that song. 
Like every yeah. everything is wrong in that song. If you look at the lyrics, it's just a bunch of vignettes of like it just everything's off. Yeah. Um and I and I can't remember profound if, disconnectedness. I, I can't remember if that's a song where it's <laughs> like saying you can't die in your dreams, really. Oh yeah. But it's just like dream warriors, baby. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, we d- we did just talk to Robert Ellis about a record that is intended to put people to sleep too. So we might be we might be like carving out a new lane oh, here. Oh man, man. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's just this is such a like for me for me this is why we do the show because we listen to so much music and then you come across this and it's just like you had no idea it was coming, no idea it was out there, and all of a sudden it's just there and it's in your life and it's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, this is this is this is one of those records that's gonna. There's a few um, albums that to me kind of fall into this category that mm-hmm. just broadly, uh, you know, the like Mad- Madeline Kinney or yeah. um, some Flock of Dimes stuff, right? Can be can feel very, uh, very much like it's um, quiet, but also just incredibly rich and layered and. Uh, and I think that's probably the thing that about this album that keeps surprising me. And I think I'm I'm confirming the point that you made earlier, which is just that every listen feels a little bit different. And the record has so many moods and it can sort of fit into so many different things that uh it's really I don't know. It's a I, I hope more people hear it. Yeah. Well, at least hundred and fifty people hear it. We're we're doing <laughs> and, our part. After this. Um so the name of the album is Deeper Slipper. Deeper Slipper. Jesus. <laughs> Name of the album is Deeper Sleeper uh, by Chester Rich. Go out and get it now. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and wind things down. Just to recap there, we had Girls in Airports. Get that. Mm-hmm. We had Hitali. Yeah. Get that. Uh, um, yeah. You can, that's going to be great for people because there's a finite end to the catalog. You can get yes. the entire, <laughs> you can get the entire volume of yeah. her work um, and look through it. And then uh, definitely go out and get Chess's album, Deeper Sleeper. I, we're, we're out of time as far as schedule wise on the show. Uh, for this season, uh, we're going to wrap it up in a few episodes, but I, I think we should see if if people want us to. I think she wants to like have her on the show. Uh, yeah, starting oh, the fall because what we do is we take a break and then we come back in like September for the end. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that would be a a really fun conversation, especially to see like how the if the album was taken off by then, right? Yeah, like yeah. how this change. Like I, it much like you know we were talking about Sean's album last week. I don't under like this seems like a slam dunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if you're hearing it here, like yeah. if you if you listen to us and you hear that album, you're like, yeah, of course I'm gonna get that. Um 
but uh, I wanted to spring something on you here. We may by then be dealing with an AI apocalypse. Now, people, you might have guessed we use an AI to do our intros. Um, mm-hmm. That's starting to creep me out. It gets a little weird sometimes. <laughs> um, I mix, what I do is I mix AI created text with my text and then feed it into an AI voice processor to read it. So you're getting and you can and you can dial up the sort of emotional tenor oh, yeah. of oh, yeah. that yeah. right and that's the that's yeah, the yeah, technique yeah. that's the and, kind of the and, art and there's weird things in there when you do that and this is like an exercise in working with that so I think it's funny to have it like emotionally unhinged but then like the first time I heard it I was like it that's not really funny that I'm using a woman's voice to be emotionally unhinged yeah or maybe yeah. it is. You know, but like that, this is like scraping just the very surface of the ethical considerations <laughs> of doing all this. Um, so you're probably going to hear it. Uh, you're probably going to hear it go away, actually. Um, I think <laughs> because of what I'm about to talk about right now. Uh, Google, you know, Google has a lot of AI alphabet. Pro- yeah, a Uncle, lot of Uncle Uncle Alphabet. Well, yeah, this is actually Google though. Uh, has a lot of irons in this fire. One of them is Bard, uh, which I spent about half an hour today arguing about why superheroes wear capes. And was that was that conclusive? W- well, the first answer was very self-referential. So it was, they do because they're heroic. I'm like, well, yeah, but people see capes as heroic because superheroes wore them. Why did they wear them? Yeah. Right. So they couldn't. It couldn't really yeah. escape that loop. But then I started asking it. I said, well. Uh, do you think it's silly? And it immediately went to, and this was barred, by the way, not uh, the OpenAI chat GPT would not answer this question. And it said, you know what? I do think it's silly because it's not functional. It gave me all these reasons why it's not functional. Yeah. <laughs> but then it said, I said, so what if you were a superhero? I'm like, well, you're, it's like your language model. I said, no, 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 but you can be a superhero. What if you were? And he's like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would use a cape. And I said, describe your costume. It did. It sounded tight. But then I said, so we got into distinctions of what heroism is. What is heroic? Right? Mm-hmm. And my example, and uh, we're going to lose all our listeners right now. <laughs> I, I promise I'm getting to some music. Uh, and uh, my example was like, there's a meteor coming to Earth. You, you, Bard, have been given physical form. You're a superhero. You don't have a cape because you think that's silly. You're ready to save people because that's all Bard wants to do. All Bard wants to do is save people. But this meteor is coming, and you can't save everybody. What happens? And it said, well, I would have to assess the situation based on age and health. Ooh. Death panels. Right. <laughs> and then I tried to like get it to explain that further, and it said, like, well, you know, maybe somebody's had a full life. <laughs> Damn! Right? You've 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 squeezed all the utility and out of a human life. That you can eventually. And Bart the, is not going to save you. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, I got to like, I just won't answer the question. <laughs> I can't. I can't answer. You, I, made, you made Bard feel icky. I about can't, the I can't answer this any further. The programming kicked in, and it would not talk about it further. But that was all on a journey to checking out this AI music thing, which is called Music LM. Uh, it's in the Google Playground. I'll put a link in there. You can sign up for it now if you want to mess with it. Uh, we've talked about AI music. There's a lot of fears in that. I think there was the Drake single like 
thing. Uh, this is oh, yeah. not. This is not that. Um, this is not like. In fact, I think this is turned off so you can't do voices on this. But okay. uh, it is text based, and so what I did is I typed in some some phrases, and I said, "What? Uh, what do I? What do I want to hear? Make something for me." And so I'm going to tell you the phrase. And I'm going to play it for you. And then I want your reaction, Eduardo. And if you're listening at home, you can react too. Um, and the first one is funk track that is bass heavy. Okay, I'm going to hit you with one more. Okay. Single sad guitar on a beach. With a friend in the piano. Should have lied. One more. One more. Because okay. this is my favorite. Soft cello alone in a forest. Let's make 20 seconds. So what you just heard, Eduardo and listeners, is completely generated by an AI based on text prompts. And the question I'm going to ask Eduardo, but listening, I want you to, like, think about this. Like, how, how does that make you feel knowing? Like, if I, it, it, well, two questions. How does that make you feel knowing that it's done by a computer? But then how would it? have made you feel the same if you thought it was made by a human. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it, uh, if you feel a little bit like you're in maybe a Kubrick movie or something, mm -hmm. or there's that moment of sort of like, uh, facet, like you're fascinated by something at the same time that you're kind of repelled by it and maybe scared of it. Mm -hmm. Um, uncanny Valley. Yeah. I mean, it works. It works. It's these are they, these are like these are pieces that would that would get. Um, I mean, I'm 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 sure they would they would pass you know uh and they would pass like a sort of a, a Coke or Pepsi is this real or not test. I think I think a lot of people would think that that's that that's real music made by, uh, made by real people. I, I'm gonna hit you with one more. Okay. One pan flute alone on a beach. I was feeling alone on a beach. Well, I think especially for pretentious idiots like you and me who like to listen to a lot of like non-musical music, uh, <laughs> this kind of stuff would, would clearly, uh, uh, would clearly, um, you know, people would be able to sneak it in. Uh, it's, you know, I, it, it's, I was, I just saw one of those clips that will pop up like on Instagram reels or something like that of like Damon Auburn explaining the track for Clint Eastwood. Have you seen this? I haven't. It's like it's like setting one on some. Crappy oh no no, little... no I did yeah it's it's the Apple TV yeah. interview with Zane Lowe. Yeah 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 okay okay yeah that, that's and, and he does yeah, the keyboard I... part for uh, connected by last year. okay yeah 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 so right I mean I mean and that's the, that's the equivalence that I think a lot of us keep reaching for which is to say like you know one of one of the one of the greatest works of like ingenuity and kind of human. Uh, 
the heights to which human creativity can soar mm-hmm. uh, is is built on something that was like a prefab prefab chord progression and beat that was made by some impersonal anonymous factory <laughs> right someone making a decision in a factory a long right. time ago or something right, right. um so i uh, like so so that's my straining to like attach like any normative statements uh, or normative values to this like it's it's to me interesting it doesn't it makes me feel a little weird but not in a way that i associate with like good weird or bad weird it's just weird weird for me right now <laughs> The, my first, um, talking about metadata and thinking about like tagging this stuff up, uh, uh-huh. was ambient fuckery. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the reason I wanted to do, tag it like that is because I'm almost positive I could search through my inbox right now and find somebody pitching something that sounds exactly like every single one yeah. of the samples. Uh, I have not figured out what to make of it, um, but I, I tweeted out a little and posted it on my Facebook that what's clear to me is that this is uh, like the debate's over. Like AI is going to be able to replicate what we know as like music. Yeah. Um, and, but a thing we've talked about on the show is narratives. And a lot of times when you're talking about music, like we were just talking about Chessa, you know, Mm -hmm. and wanting to talk to her because we have this interpretation of her music based on what somebody told us about her. Uh, If we didn't, if nobody told us a thing about that, um, which in my case, they didn't really, because I didn't even see the press release. So I've just been like digesting this thing and I know it, but I did because I know it's context. I know she works with a lot of people. Uh, that we've talked to, their music that I like, that you know, just the human connections, right? And those shape how you, how you how you listen to it, and and I don't see that going away because that's the that's the real model of the music industry. That's why indie yeah. rock can exist because it doesn't. That's why punk could exist. It doesn't have to be like mathematically or musically even good, <laughs> right? Um. Um, well, there's, you know, I think, I think, I think there's going to be, yeah, that, I mean, that's well said. Like, um, I saw a good, a good thing the other day to the effect of, um, about kind of being, uh, working professional and the idea that like, um, you know, AI is not going to take your job, but if you don't know how to use AI, you probably won't right. have a job in that space. Right. right. Um, I mean, I've seen AI used, I, I just had someone use it, uh, in a brainstorm. We were trying to come up with like a tagline for this venture. Yeah. And, uh, and AI delivered some really great starting points that we were then able to kind of like right. tinker with. And, and so I, you know, yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of like, it's unholy. It's a, it's a monster, right? What have you done? Dr. Frankenstein, get this stuff out of here. It has no place among us nice people. Yeah. Um, but clearly the right, I don't know, clear, like that's, that's like a losing battle. You're not going to keep AI out of music. You're not going to keep <laughs> people from putting AI generated music out there. Yeah. And, and it's not people's fault if some of them, probably a lot of them don't really care about the difference between AI generated music yeah, and yeah. human generated music. I see, um, I see it doing damage the, and I see it doing actual damage the most where for artists who are not 
necessarily self-aware about where their art sits in a marketplace. Um, because it is magical that you can create something at the same time. It's also like everybody can do it. Right. Yeah. But, and it requires ego to actually create something to put that out in the world. It, it requires a strength, uh, of believing in yourself to actually do that. And the second though, if you hear something that comes along and does exactly what you just did, um, the first step would be rejection of that. Uh, but yeah. then if you played it to somebody who didn't know anything about you or the AI and they couldn't tell the difference, like there's some point you have to have acceptance and have to figure out how to work. Um, like you said, with it. Um, and I feel that's going to be damaging to a lot of artists because maybe the, the, the pe people just might not have the capacity and not just artists like in, in the workplace. Like it's just, you just might not have, I don't know if that's an ego thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it, it I can, well, it's going to be, it's going to be a scapegoat for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, right. It's going to be blamed for a lot of things. Um, and, uh, you know, I always think about, um, I, I, uh, few weeks ago was out west my brother was playing like a fish after show thing and he's oh, yeah. in you know he's in a sort of a what he would say is like a third third tier jam band at best um so goose and <laughs> it's not... your brother's in goose <laughs> wow. hey, yo. um so uh well done um but you know i was watching him and i hadn't seen him play with this band before i've seen him play a bunch of times but not in the context of this band and i was just thinking like wow you know my brother's got he's got a keyboard he's got a laptop he's got a guitar he's proficient in all of them he can sing he's got personality like that's what a, a band need like like anything yeah. a band needs he can probably do right he has figured out how to make himself how to like bring things to a band sound um that you know you know could an ai do some of that maybe but but, you know, I think I think the point is, like, when you when you have a human making decisions uh, that are then facilitated or enabled by technology or made easier by technology, the human still comes out ahead. Right. The key is just so. not to go. Yeah. Like, but just don't do battle with AI because that's not that's stupid. You're not in competition with AI anyway. Yeah. And and to be clear, you're talking about something very different, like live performance of, of a work yes. versus like, yeah, AI can't replace that. Like yeah. when the AI makes robots who replace well, us, I mean, we'll see, we'll see. But right now, just a thing in a box can't replace the feeling of like sitting in front of, uh, you know, even the Milwaukee symphony. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 and not to hate on DJs, but like DJs do walk into venues carrying like a USB drive, right? Like they don't even, right. <laughs> like some of them don't even like have their own hardware or whatever. They just have a little thumb drive that is, that is their entire, that's the entire musical. Yeah evening so yeah which is which is a weird yeah i, I just read Questlove's book um mm. on the history of music uh half recommend it but it's uh he he talks about dj in there he talks about like having to do how that changed like having access to all these different things of technology and he's been he's seen it and uh it, it, that part was extremely fascinating to see how this guy who already knew about this vast history of music, but didn't have, he was limited by how he could get that to the people yeah. in, in a DJ set. Um, so, yeah. But well, yeah, that was weird, man. <laughs> that was weird. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I figured it would be, it was, it was weird for me. I'll send you the link. I got 
approved in like a day. So oh, you can okay. mess around with it, and uh, and the okay. link will be in the show notes too. Uh, and and just like start typing in weird shit and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, I mean that's kind of how art works. <laughs> yeah, just right. Do a bunch of weird shit and see what happens. So yeah. Um. All right. That's it. That's our show. Bye. Scholars, scholars.